Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Hello, coffee friends. Welcome to Coffee Is Me podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on this episode. I'm your host, Valerian Rala. I hope you are ready for a long one. Today we are going to talk about the future of the coffee industry, or at least a serious catalyzator for new coffee businesses. My today's guest is Flo Andrews, the co-founder of Berkeley Coro Corosing Company here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I think corosing is the future of the coffee industry, because anyone can start a fully professional coffee production with a minimum cost and minimum risk. But Coro is not only about production, they also support your professional growth with various events, they are amazing place to network with your potential green coffee suppliers, and recently they even have a plan how to support the sales of their members via Members Cafe. With Floyd, we are going to talk also about other trends in the coffee industry, and I also ask her why does she think women are underrepresented in the industry? And her answer might surprise you. Well, it surprised me, so you will see. But before we start, a small disclaimer. Unleash Coffee, the company I co-own, together with William, a coffee farmer from Brazil, is using services of Berkeley Coro. That said, this is not a promo podcast, has no financial or other payment was negotiated. This episode is purely my admiration for this business model and something I think you guys will be interested in. Speaking of finances, did you know that to make one episode of this podcast takes me more than 8 hours? With 34 episodes in, this means close to 300 hours of work. The truth is that I never thought that this podcast will be so popular. But even though there's more than 50,000 downloads, it has a very narrow audience and it's very challenging to find a corporate advertisers who would make sense for this podcast. And if they make good products, they get free plugs anyway. And if they do not make good products, then they cannot buy their way in. And I want to keep it that way. So if you enjoy this podcast and you would like to invite me for a virtual glass of wine, or, or you think this podcast gave you knowledge, which saved you money, time, please donate. So if you're ready to help the show, you can go to coffees.me website and click donate slash support link on the top menu or just go to coffees.me slash donate and you can do so. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. Hi Floy, welcome to the coffees.me podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Valerian, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to join in. Uh, you guys are doing an amazing job with the Bay Area co-roasters, but before we get to that topic. Uh, I have a three in one question for you. Uh, I use that word three in one because in Europe we have these uh, weird coffee. I don't know if you have it in the United States, but it's a three in one. It's a coffee, milk, and sugar. Oh, and they call it three in one. I think we just call it coffee with uh, milk and sugar. <laughs> oh, you know, you, you buy it as a little package. It's instant stuff. Oh, I see. I see. I'm not I going see. to name the big brand, but. <laughs> So here's a three-in-one question for you. First, what is your coffee story? Second, do you remember your first sip of coffee and how does it taste it like? And a third one, 
How did you start to work with coffee? Um, okay, so I'll start with the second question first, okay. which was my first taste of coffee. I think my first taste of coffee was when I was like maybe five years old, having a sip of my mom's black coffee and like wrinkling up my nose and saying, ooh, how can you drink that? Uh, my mom was really into coffee. And uh, in the 70s, when I was um, a little older than five at that time, uh, my mom would make a special trip. Nobody else's mom ever did this to this place called the Panikin in Lucadia. I lived in Carlsbad. And Lucadia is this sweet little beach town in Southern California. And they roasted their own coffee right there back in the 70s. And so my mom would make the special trip to go get coffee. And she was really into it. Uh, um, and then... Um, I started drinking coffee in college, and when I got out into the workforce, I remember working um, actually as a lawyer in Los Angeles in the 90s, and I found a couple of really great coffee spots in L.A., but uh, over a, maybe a period of three years, they all became Starbucks. So wow. Starbucks bought up all the really cool local coffee spots, and so I became basically a Starbucks and Pete's drinker kind of out of habit. And um, and definitely created a kind of um, coffee habit. I drank that coffee every day, I think, for, you know, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I came to Coro. And that was about a year ago. Uh, we started Coro. And uh, one of the co-founders at Coro, um, he couldn't believe I was drinking Pete's, I have to admit it. And he... Um, <laughs> Um, offered me a cup of um, coffee uh, roasted at the roastery that is now uh, Coro, Bay Area Co-Roasters. It was roasted by John Laird. It was a supersonic brand of coffee, and it really it opened my eyes. I saw the light. Um, that was a little more than a year ago. And so now I'm a Q grader, and um, I get to taste and drink really amazing coffees here at Coro every day. And so it's really uh, heightened my enjoyment of my morning life. I And afternoon, I have to admit, these days, I just seem to drink coffee all day long. Um, so that was my first taste of coffee, and that was my um, sort of brief coffee story. Um, and what was the third part of the question? Well, you already answered that. How did you start to work with coffee? So, you know, it, you said that it was with a coro, right? Did you work with coffee before that? No, I did not work with coffee before that. Okay. And um and I and and when I found Tim Hansen, who's one of the co-founders here, um when we hooked up, I had no idea that I would be um planning to, you know, move into coffee. That wasn't really my dream at the time. Um but he and uh, the other co-founder Paul Goldstone had this beautiful roasting facility that um was idle most of the time because only one brand of coffee was being roasted here. And um, they were kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out what to do. And Tim thought, oh, maybe we should rent the space out to um, other coffee brands. And at the time, I had been advising um, kind of as a consultant, uh, one of the um, tech incubators in the city. Um, the owner of Runway, which is in the Twitter building, was looking at opening another one, and I was advising him on real estate issues, et cetera. And um, so I had a little window into how shared space um, entities functioned with their members and um, got a real sense about the true value of 
sharing capital investment, uh, leveraging the capital investment to help so many people instead of just one. And um, when Tim said that, a light went off in my head. It was like, right, of course, Mm -hmm. we should open this up and turn it into a co-roasting space. I can see how that would be a real winner. Um, So that's kind of how I actually got into coffee as a career. Okay. Well, uh, two things before we move on. Uh, I started with Starbucks, by the way. So Starbucks (laughs) opened my eyes. But that was in 2001. So that was a long time ago. That's my excuse, I would say. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to Pete, Pete was for me always something special. It was because I lived in Europe. I moved to the United States in 2010. And before that, I always came here to visit. You know, my wife is American, so we came visit her parents. And when I came here, the Pete was something like local. And at that time, it was in my head a little chain. And, um, you know, I know the uh, Alfred Pete story from the Berkeley get and stuff like that. And it was always something awesome until I had a job interview with them. That's when <laughs> that ruined it for me, unfortunately. But oh. um, I know it's not because they didn't <laughs> hire me. It's because the values did not match. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I was fascinated by this concept of sharing anything since 2010, like in business world, because I was doing uh, elevator pitches. That's how I learned filming. I went out and uh, ask people to do elevator pitches so I can practice my filming skills, my, you know, framing and audio and stuff like that. And it took me a long time until I found found out that there are places which are called co-working spaces. And that's where, you know, uh, small businesses or small, entre- uh, small entrepreneurs can meet and have this space. They can share a little part of that space with a membership fee. And I think that that was kind of start for this whole thing and then I heard, you know, the shared kitchens, and then I heard about you guys, shared roasting facility, which for me, it was like, wow, this is, this is a genius idea, and uh, can it be uh, viable? So tell me more about this. Tell first, it would be great if you can tell us what the co-roasting uh, place is, and can it be viable? Yeah, well, we, um, we're in West Berkeley on Fifth Street. And uh, we started out a year ago with 3,000 square feet of um, roastery space. And we, within a year, have expanded to um, 4,500 square feet of space. So um, when we opened our doors, we opened our doors just to test the market um, in September 2015. And during the first three months, we uh, signed up enough members to make us realize that with very little marketing. Um, we already had people like knocking on our door. We realized that, oh yeah, this is a viable business. And so, um, as of the first of the year, 2016, we, you know, really got our act together. Um, so it's now a 4,500 square foot roasting space. We have four production roasters, um, including two 35 kilo, um, lowering kestrels, and one 15 kilo Loring Falcon, and one um, small five kilo Probat. Um, so that's a lot of roast capacity. Mm-hmm. We just installed the second 35 kilo uh, roastery um, over the past two weeks. So that's a new one for us. And then we have um, an automatic weigh and fill and a band sealer um, to um, um, 
what's the word, um, to make production much more efficient um, in terms of, you know, bagging the coffee. And um, um, and then we have a beautiful weighing state. I mean, a beautiful um, shipping station uh, where uh, just ease of packing boxes and interfacing with shippers, etc. cetera. Um, we have uh, quite a bit of green storage space. So each member has a certain amount of space to store their supplies and their green coffee. So they only have to receive shipments from the annex or where the, wherever the green coffee is coming from, um, you know, once a month or so. And then uh, we're putting in a second automatic weigh and fill um, because that definitely is a piece of equipment everybody loves to use. Um, and we have um, a, a really beautiful quality control lab where we have a two-barrel probat sample roaster and um, uh, one-pound San Franciscan roaster, and then we've got a little coffee tech roaster up there. It's an electric roaster and a beautiful La Marzocco espresso machine, lots of brewing equipment of all kinds, um, you know, high-end grinders, Malcona grinders, and we've got a whole cupping room. Um, and all that's available to our members as well so that they can spend time um, really sourcing uh, and cupping green to get the right coffee for the right outcome. And then also to um, uh, quality control their roast and um, basically come up with creative ways of working with all that beautiful green coffee. Mm -hmm. And uh, go ahead. we have a thing called a green coffee sample station, which I can talk about later. If um, No, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so upstairs in the QC lab and cupping room, we have we started this thing called a green coffee sample station. And right now we're working with 11 importers and the importers um, uh, ship us samples of their fresh um, deliveries um, and each importer puts six samples on the wall basically and our members and the samples are 100 gram samples and then um, they can be roasted on our um, sample roaster and cupped in the cupping room. And so um, all of our members and then anybody, uh, any coffee professional is welcome to come in and peruse the sample station and um, take samples. All we do is collect their information and let the importer know who's taken the sample so the importer can reach out to them. It's just basically a way of connecting um, um, uh, coffee professionals and roasters with um, a beautiful array of importers. And um, Coro doesn't have any... Um, like specific interest in the sale that's taking place, no financial interest. We um, just take a, a small um, monthly fee for from the importers to put their coffee on the wall. And that's basically just to cover the cost of keeping the wall stocked and neat and uh, managed. Um, yeah, it's really just a, a way of us offering up a mechanism to create connections. And, um, and then uh, once a month, uh, we have um, public cuppings where the importers come in and bring um, a selection of maybe 14 new coffees and um, we cup them for uh, all of their customers in the East Bay and whoever else is interested in coming in and seeing what coffees are being offered by the various importers. That, that happens once or twice a month. And then every now and again, whoever's around here will take samples off the wall. Uh, a co-row employee will take samples off the wall, roast them and put them on the table for uh, whatever members or other folks happen to be around that day, just to sort of stay in touch with what coffees are on the wall. Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's very, fun. It's very cool. I know. So we, I think it, it's fair to say that uh, I have to disclose is that I am uh, using your facility with our brand Unleash Coffee. Yes. Uh, and uh, we we are paying members, so this podcast is nothing about you know giving us any uh, financial benefit. So this is really my opinion, which I'm going to say. So uh, when we started, when we are thinking to start Unleash Coffee, obviously I have a brand in Europe. We're thinking to bring over some uh, coffee roasters, some equipment, which you know we want to modernize in 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 Europe because that company is already running and you know we always invest in new new technologies and bring the you know older ones here and we can use that uh to roast uh we did not know about you guys at that time and you know we looked at the rents and we started to look at you know uh, potential places for the roasting facility and we realized very fast that to start a coffee roasting company here in the bay area especially in a place where we live called marion it's crazy expensive it's it's not only the the crazy amount for the rent, but also the permits. It's very hard to get a permit for roasting. Everybody likes coffee, but nobody wants it to see it to be roasted here in Marion. So it's it's you know it was very very complicated for us. And William, my business partner, he's Brazilian. I'm originally from Europe. So for us, all these permits are new. And just then we heard about uh, the Coros place, and we came to visit you guys, and we're like. There's nothing to think about. We're going to use it right away because A, we get access to the most modern equipment. Okay. So it's like roasting on lowerings, it's fun. It's just like driving a Ferrari. And, you know, normally <laughs> we would not afford that. So then we use it when we use it. So we are lowering our risk of not paying, let's say, four or $5,000 for rent because we can use it, you know, per hour and we can pay you either per hour or per membership fee, right? Uh, then exactly. the lab, for me, the lab was like, you know, oh, that's just so beautiful. There's this all the fancy equipment I can use and play with, which we didn't really utilize at this point yet, but definitely planning on it. And all these benefits for us were like, you know, it's a very low risk for us to start a highly professional company. So that's why we decided for you guys. And then the packaging machine. We were not even thinking about, you know, that, oh, okay, they have packaging machine. How cool, nice. Then we started to use it and we go like, oh my gosh, I want this in my, you know, European company because it's so much faster, <laughs> so much more efficient because we didn't even know. We didn't even know until you start to use it. And it's just like, wow. Uh, so here you have my reasons why we started to work with you guys. That is so great, exactly. Um, and, you know, our values, too, as an organization, I really feel like they fit so well with gen coffee in general, especially specialty coffee. Um, you know, we really care about community. We really care about um, creative coffee and providing a space for people to, um, you know, change it up, come up with a new way of doing things, um, come up with a new brand that represents their personality, that um, um, the consumers out there can connect with and feel really good about. Um, and we really like supporting small business. We, I really take so much pride in knowing that um, people who want to strike out on their own have a place where and a way to make it happen for themselves in coffee. They don't have to go work for the big corporations um, because they don't have to come up with that huge capital outlay. 
it's um it's really uh um it feels great yeah and they can start very professionally from the get-go because you know many yeah. times people think oh i buy a roaster i start to roast it's not only the roaster you have to buy you know there's the packaging machine there's a queue uh your queue lab you know and that's all important today especially in the bay area coffee is amazing like to compete with you know these amazing uh other brands requires you to have a serious coffee knowledge and seriously to find the best lots and for that you need a queue lab it's it's not just you know buying a roaster and start roasting it's not that anymore it used to be true maybe i don't know 10 20 years ago but not anymore so you have that there for the members which i was like wow we don't have to invest in a queue lab there it is awesome you know yeah so. And also, you know, there is a real um, vibe, a real community that is growing here. And um, the different uh, brands, uh, the different roasters, um, they're learning from each other and sharing with each other. And, um, and and some of the, like, roasters are jumping from one company to another. I mean, it's just it's a really cool way of being where people can really find their space and their community and their connection. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it sounds almost surreal to me. Uh, I'll be very honest now, um, and I'm a bit scared. And I want to, I want to talk about this too a little bit. It's uh, because you opened uh, a great opportunity for me as Unleash Coffee, but you also opened a great opportunity of many, many other brands in 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 a, in a, a yes. Bay Area. So for me, it's kind of like, oh, that's awesome for me, but. Uh, to be uh, your member, but how is it with uh, me accepting that a competition? And I'm a guy who likes to share. Obviously, we have the you know, we have this podcast, and you know we share a lot of stuff here. But it's also kind of like, it's in my back in my head. I will be very honest about that. It's like okay, so now we're going to have instead of hundreds, thousands of coffee roasting companies in the Bay Area. Can, can, can we live here? Can we uh, sell coffee here? Is, is there enough space and interest in these companies in the Bay Area? What do you think? I really think that there is. And I think there's going to be more and more interest. I mean, I do not believe that unleashed competition is any of the roasters that are roasting at Coro or any of the other amazing uh, third wave um, craft coffee brands out there. Our competition is, you know, the big players, the people who have controlled the market for decades. Coffee consumers are waking up to craft coffee. And these same consumers, they really care about how their products are sourced, what the environmental impact is of the products, um, uh, what the personality is of the people making the products, what does the brand say about lifestyle and about value structure. These consumers care about sustainability and they care about creativity and quality. So these are ways, these are um, uh, values and desires that small, nimble coffee companies can speak to. And so, um, and that's why Coro has a vested interest in helping to um, educate the coffee consuming public on um, on the changing coffee landscape. Help them see why if, uh, just with a little bit of um, a work by choosing a different coffee in the grocery store or going to a different cafe, 
um, uh, on the weekend or whenever they're going to the cafe, they will be able to um, connect with small and companies. And so, um, and in that way, we're helping the coffee consuming public um, reach our members and other people working in the craft coffee area. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe there might be some um, switch from one small brand to another small brand, but mostly I think we're seeing the major players' market share um, um, shatter, if you will, and um, a certain percentage of that, and that market share is huge, is going to be moving more and more into the craft coffee arena. And so I really think it's a win for everyone. And the more craft coffee companies there are out there, the more the coffee-consuming public is bombarded with this sort of new creative force. So I actually think there's synergy and that it's not really um, uh, a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. So I, I, I'm hoping that that's true because uh, only the future will tell. But uh, right. uh, I, I feel that, you know, um, let's say in, in Europe, in Slovakia, the more companies came, because we were the first ones there with uh, with a specialty and third wave. Uh, and, you know, that's always kind of cool to be the first one. But uh, and but we had this fear of the competition in the beginning. You know, they were like, oh, there's another one who is copying us. There's another one who is copying us. And, oh, these guys were actually criticizing us. They were doing bad Dark Cross, and now they are copying us. But then we realized that, you know what, what they do is what you said, that more brands will educate more customers. And uh, actually, our sales are still growing, like we're doubling every year. And wow, it's it's also because of the competitors, because they came and they introduced this specialty coffee to uh, to other crowds, to their friends. And yes, I'm sure, as you said, that, you know, today I buy coffee A and maybe uh, tomorrow I buy coffee B and then C and then come back to A because they have some other lots which I'm curious about. So slowly people are selecting coffee not based on the brand like you know it's a a brand or b brand but more like oh that's ethiopian which i already had so let me see you know how does it taste like or oh this is from a farm in guatemala which i never tried and okay this is you know uh roastery c is having it so let me try that so that that's kind of cool shift and that's what i think is going to happen with the coffee but it's i think it's too early to say you know so uh but. I think you're right. It might be too early to say. Um, and places like Coro that are opening the doors to um, lots of small coffee brands, um, you know, we're kind of helping to um, um, jumpstart that process. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We are going to see what the future holds. But if you look at what's happening here at Coro, we're we're busy. And the brands that are roasting here are growing. We've already see, seen brands come in, start on the small machine, move to the mid-sized machine, and then move to the big machine. It didn't happen and to we've us yet. <laughs> and we've been doing this for a year. I know when you guys just started. I'm so jealous. I want to move on a big machine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You will. You will. You will. Well, uh, one thing I've noticed is it really takes a lot of effort at, in the early stages. It's like you've got to get that brand out there, and you got to get a certain, like, um, um, level of customer committed to your coffee. And then it's like they tell two friends and they too tell, tell two friends and all of a sudden it's growing like crazy. 
But it's like that first, like getting hooked into your consumer base. That's the key. Yes, I'm so happy that you said that. There's ma- there's many people who want to start coffee roasting businesses, and uh, they don't know this. And I did not know this. I forgot this because when we started with Green Plantation, my European brand, it was very, very hard. The first year was so frustrating. It was so frustrating. And it's like, oh, they don't understand this. You know, I I felt like somebody who has a crazy idea and nobody wants to listen, you know. And then slowly it started to trickle. And you're right, as one said to another, and things started to move. But when I started Unleash Coffee, I was like, oh, it happened because we were probably not experienced in marketing and, and sales techniques. So I know now, you know, what we do now with Green Plantation, we are just implement it here and it happens much faster. Not true. <laughs> not true. So it's the same <laughs> hustle uh, which uh, happened with Green Plantation in the beginning. We hope that it's not going to be a year. We hope that it's going to be much faster because obviously there's a lot of things we learn with, you know, doing Green Plantation. So I, I implemented those here and they do work. Like, for example... Uh, one thing which I never thought would make a difference is packaging. I was like, I always thought that, you know, the most important stuff is the coffee, the quality of the coffee. But to get the first customers, packaging is very important, you know. So it's people look at that and many of them, many of them decide based on the color or or shape or, you know, does it have a zipper on the top? Does, does it have a colorful packaging? Or does it have a typical craft packaging? Because some people go for that, you know, so... Um, exactly. That packaging represents the personality of the brand. And in this marketplace, the personality of the consumer connects with the personality of the brand. So you got to be able to say who you are in, in your packaging and then also your other marketing materials, your website, you know, you're visiting with customers either in the um, grocery stores or farmers markets or cafes, you know, wherever you are. And if you do have a cafe, it's really about your barista. The um, the person who's connecting in with that consumer that is on a personal basis that is key. Wow, that that's totally true. I never realized that. Uh, it's totally today's a one brand which I don't like here in Marion. They have an amazing uh, cafe, but the only reason I don't like them because anytime I go there, the baristas are so bored and so um, uninvolved that I stopped going there. I was like, oh my gosh, it's the closest place to me. And it has this amazing uh, cafe. Coffee is eh, but you know, sometimes you just want to have the, the ambiance, the, the experience, but the experience is horrible too. So I was like, you're right. And now the whole brand in my head is bad because of that. Yeah, as a consumer, you want to walk up and feel good. You want to feel good about the place you're in, about the person you're talking to, about yourself, about your own personal choices. You you don't want to feel like, oh, this is kind of, I'm really a hassle for the person who's making my coffee. No, that's no good. So what do you think uh, if there is somebody who is still a home roaster and says to himself or herself that, you know what, um, there's so many competitions there. Shall I start or shall I just not do it anymore? Am I late? What do you think? Is there still a place in the coffee industry? I do not think you're late. I really look at coffee kind of uh, at this point, following in the lines of wine in the 90s, let's say, and beer uh, um, kind of after, you know, in the early 2000s. Um, 
it's so early in the game for coffee. I mean, in the Bay Area, we're like, and in Portland, you know, um, the West Coast, you know, we have already uh, made a lot of progress in terms of um, coffee craft. Um, but even so, we also have consumers on the West Coast that are looking for um, specialty, like highly specialized coffees. And it doesn't mean expensive coffees, but um, coffees that speak to the values of the people and also coffees that taste great and coffees that are delivered in a really welcoming um, and interesting, unique environment. That That's still key. Um, even in the East Bay, you know, I, I drive a long way to get to that like coffee place where I really want to be. There isn't one right around on every corner and I feel like there could be. So I think we're just starting. Um, and, uh, so the person who's wondering if it's too late, I would ask that person to really look, I mean, a successful coffee company in this, I mean, you can totally be successful, but to get a, co- a company off the ground requires so much emotional commitment and physical commitment. Um, and so I think someone who wants to start a coffee brand, they really need to love coffee and they need to be totally in the mindset of this is my baby. I'm going to make this happen. This is what I want for myself, for uh, my friends and for my life. And I'm going to make it go of it. That person can like thrive in, um, in coffee, even in saturated, even in markets that are as saturated as the market in San Francisco and the East Bay. I don't think that the, the saturation level is over the top in these areas, even though we do have a lot of specialty coffee. I mean, a lot of third wave coffee, a lot of craft coffee. Um, but in, even if, and even if you're in a place where there really is very little, um, high-end um, or craft coffee, uh, you still have to have that kind of um, uh, sort of like internal commitment to your business to make a go of it because starting a business is hard. But if you have that, and I have, we have here at Koto a lot of members who have that, um, you can do it. You totally can do it. And I would say go for it. Okay, perfect. Uh, I agree with you. Um, I see the trends because we have these online coffee courses, uh, where people learn, you know, online how to roast. And I see the trends of uh, uh, the people subscribing more and more. So there is, you know, uh, more interest. And uh, usually members give us feedback, you know, that, you know, this is what I do. You know, I went to my first farmer's market, blah, 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 blah. And it's 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 pretty impressive that, you know, what of the people are doing well. Depends what you want to build, right? And uh, maybe not everywhere is going to be a Starbucks or or uh, blue bottle now we can even say blue bottle is big right but uh yeah. for sure you're going to do what what you love you know and if you have the i agree with you if you have the passion for the coffee like real passion or you don't do it for the money only i mean obviously money is important because it's a business but you you people have to feel the passion and you mentioned that before that consumers are looking for this personality of the brand and the closest or the most important personality of the brand is you as an entrepreneur. How about your competition? So how do you see the future of uh, these kind of coffee roasting shared spaces? Do you think it's going to happen everywhere on the world or is it something specific to the only to the Bay Area? And I think there's one in New York, right? Uh, The Puli Cooperative, I think. The Puli Collective? Collective, yeah. 
exactly there in uh, Brooklyn in Red Hook. I've never been there, but I've heard about it and I would love to visit them. Um, and I think they're opening a space in Oakland as well. Oh. Yeah. So, so you are going to have a competition. Yeah. Competition is coming. And um, to be perfectly honest, I think there is plenty of room in this space. I really do. And I think just like each coffee brand is going to have its own personality, um, each co-roasting space, facility, company will have its own personality. And um, and roasters will, will sort of like gravitate to the space that feels right for them, where they feel good and comfortable and supported. And, um, and so... I, I actually don't, you know, oh, yeah, of course, it would be nice to be, in some sense in my mind, it would be nice to be the only one around. But the truth is, I think there are certain synergies that are actually beneficial. I think um, as more uh, small coffee brands find their way into the marketplace, they're just going to sort of like create more demand and create more demand. And with that higher demand, there's going to be more demand for roasting capacity. And uh, so I think that, you know, certainly a market can become saturated at some point but i think we're in the very early stages and um um peter uh giuliano who is a high level executive with the specialty coffee association of america i was chatting with him maybe a month or so ago and he said oh yeah co-roasting is the way of the future for specialty coffee yeah. and when you think about the economics it makes perfect sense i mean maybe he's going to be wrong i don't know the future will show but I believe that he's absolutely right. And which case, there's plenty of room. I think he's right, you know, because uh, I think the co-roasting places are really like a catalysator for the industry because yes. with very low risk, you can go and follow your dream to be exactly. a coffee roaster, to start a coffee brand. And you know what? Maybe in a in a uh, year, you realize, oh, this is not for me, and you move on. Uh, and you did not hurt. I mean, imagine that you have to invest to that equipment, and in a year, you go like, oh, my gosh, this is not for me, but I invested hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I have to just hassle, hustle, and you are miserable for years. With the corrosive yeah. places, you just realize it very fast that, oh, I can do this, and it's awesome. And, you know, uh, many people will do that. So it's I do see that corrosive places – and in any kind of like co-cooking places and co-working places are, are the future. I, I, as, as I said, you know, I fall in love with co-working spaces because they are different startups. And not only that, uh, they have this space to work, but they have the space to learn because you said that yourself that you do courses, you know, uh, yes. you do uh, presentations, right? So they did the same for their, you know, like business classes for their uh, members. Plus, you meet people, right, in the industry, which is really great. And for, let's say, for co-working places, is even cooler because there are people from different industries. So let's say somebody's making a, a new way of online stores and somebody's making jewelry. They can meet and, you know, jewelry can be on the store, right? But you do something similar, right, which uh, also was, for me, very impressive. So not only that you help people to produce their coffee, but in your future plans, you have these cafes. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that was pretty impressive for me when I uh, asked about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. But I just want to say before I get there that talking about the personality, um, I just want to give a little bit of definition around kind of the co-role personality. Um, and also, I want to give a little shout out to Danny Goot, 
who for um, a while, you know, maybe about nine months, at a very critical stage in Coro's history, Danny Goot was our director of operations. And Danny is like, you know, he is uh, a warm soul and um, very community focused. And he really, Tim um, Hansen and I both understood that community and education and collaboration was essential for um, our co-roasting space but Danny really brought that home for us and um, he also had very deep roots in the coffee community and so um, he understood that oh this community needs a place to gather this community needs a place to share and um, he helped us really embrace that here at Coro and so that's really a part of our our um, uh, brand identity and a part of our um, you know the um, ecosystem of this space is um, we want to support the brands, our members here uh, in every way possible, including in helping them find their space in the coffee community and the um, collaboration uh, with the other folks in the space. Maybe even in terms of buying green together, helping farmers at origin together. I mean, none none of these brands on their own can make a big difference for um, a farmer at origin, whereas like Starbucks can. But together, um, our members could do that. They really could come together and decide, okay, this farm and this community is one we're going to try to help support in some way. Um, And I'm really excited to see that kind of come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, Denny is awesome. We met him a few times and he gave us the first intro onto the roasting style of, of, uh, of loadings because uh, loadings are high um, airflow roasters, and I never roasted on roasters like that. I usually use the classical drum roasters like ProBat, the yeah. ProBat kind of roasters, and uh, it was the best one I ever spent. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah, with, with I love that. Yeah. Yes. So Danny still he works for Bellwether, which is uh, one of our members, and so his organization is roasting here on a regular basis. He's still around a lot, does a little bit of consulting. And um, terrific guy. And uh, we have a a wonderful woman coming in to uh, help us with um, a lot of what Danny was doing. And her name is Sarah Richmond. She has been um, a roaster for many, many years and has also run cafes and is currently uh, director of wholesale at Quill's Cafe in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, She's uh, spent many years in the East Bay and she's coming back. Hooray. She starts in another week. Um, yeah, so we are opening a coffee room, the Coro Coffee Room, and uh, we're just in the process of getting the, the permits together now. Um, the coffee room will be featuring only coffee roasted at Coro, and it'll be a changing lineup of coffee. Uh, we're thinking it'll probably be, we'll probably be offering either two or three different members coffee for a period of three months and then switch it to um, the next two or three members coffee. And um, we'll be um, serving uh, two different um, brands, batch brew, two different brands, espressos. We'll be doing pour overs and um, we're going to be doing coffee flights. And uh, we're going to be on the weekends having um, um, events where uh, local consumers, not coffee professionals, come in 
for um, cuppings designed really for the non-professional and we'll be um, bringing people from farms and importers and the roasters themselves coming in to talk about the coffees that uh, we'll be serving and tasting and we'll be um, describing tasting notes and um, really helping the consumer to um, taste for themselves the amazing difference in um, coffees from various origins and coffees with various roast profiles and coffees brewed in various ways. Um, I, my, when I first started cupping coffee, that was when I really wrapped my mind around how amazing green coffee and roasted coffee is just coffee generally how unique each cup is and um until you taste coffee side by side it's really easy not to get that and so our focus is going to be helping the consumer understand um the beauty um and uniqueness of of coffee so that's the coffee room oh and we're also going to have really good food oh Nice. Uh, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like that you mentioned that you want to help the farmers because uh, Amish Coffee is all about that because it's a team of a farmer and a roaster. So it's... Uh, exactly. I think, you know, that's also other thing which I think in the future will uh, pick up is when, you know, in, in wine we have like vintners, you know, doing their like um, own wines and, you know, we, we have this vineyard doing their wines and that vineyard. And I think that it can be a uh, interesting model for a coffee uh, farmers there's one problem is the freshness because you know with wine uh, you don't have that issue where you know coffee has to be fresh freshly roasted so uh, you know if somebody roasts it in Honduras it's very hard to sell and uh, send it out to be fresh in you know into the United States or to to Germany so we have that issue but that's what's so cool about unleashed Yes. I just have to say, that's what's so cool about Unleashed is that you guys are the farmers and you are the roasters and you figured out how to do it uh, in a way where you can get the green fresh and the roasted coffee fresh into the hands of the consumer. Yes. And, you know, we are lucky that William is here in the United States, but I think that co-roasting places can help this because I can see in the future that, you know, a farmer in Honduras teams up with a roaster in, in Berkeley and they're going to use, you know, uh, a co-roasting space, like your place to roast coffee uh, directly from the Honduras. And they will do the same what we did, that, you know, we are 50-50% owners of the company. So 50% is the farmer and 50% is the roaster. And yes. uh, that can be yeah. a very nice model for the future, you know. And there I can see that there's not really competition because I like to try different wines. You know, I, I'm not a loyal one brand uh, uh, guy. And uh, I think the coffee is going th that way. So, you know, uh, that can be interesting model for the future. Yeah, I, I like it. Mm. There is so much opportunity in this space, really. It just has, uh, there's so much to explore. It's, it's really fun, really exciting. Yeah, you know, this is what kind of, not really annoys me, that's not the right word. Okay, so this is which, which I find a little bit boring in the industry that everybody is starting to do the same thing. There's no variation. That's a bit kind of scares me because that's when a market can get saturated. But if you start to do different things with different concepts, that's when, you know, you basically enriching the, the, uh, the whole coffee experience. So I think that people have to go and look for new ideas. That's very important in industry because, yeah. you know, having like 20 third, third wave companies would not help us, but 20 coffee companies with 
different kind of you know twists can be great because that's enriching the uh, the uh, coffee industry. If you would have to give uh, five tips to starting coffee roasters, uh, what would what would they be? Um, first, I would start off with the, um, the the point I was making earlier, which is um, you have got to be you know all in. Uh, if you're st- when you're starting out, you really do. And later, too, I really believe that you really have to bring uh, your whole self and your whole passion to uh, your project. So number one is you have to love coffee and you have to be like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to express my creativity. Um, and this is what I want to offer society uh, kind of from my heart. So number one, you have to be all in in that way. Um Number two, you know, um, I'm looking at notes that I have made earlier and um, I have I regularly question where does brand branding personality fit into the equation? And I'm going to say that I actually think that um, you with that heart and passion, you have to identify like what it is you want to say about who you are in your brand. And I think that's really important. So I'm going to put that kind of to the top of the list. You got to sort of think about like, what are you telling the world about yourself? Whether you're um, sort of like an indie rock and roll person, or whether you're all about sustainability and um, um, and sort of like sharing the wealth and being very sort of eco friendly, or whether you're really all about like just the absolute highest end. And amazing, you know, coffee scoring in the 90s, that's who you are. Um, or whether you're, you know, we're women and we are women owned and we care about women farmers or, you know, whatever your passion is that you're bringing, how you fold that into your brand is is key because that's how the consumer is going to relate to you. Mm-hmm. And that's how you'll bring in your uh, committed um, customers. So brand. Um, then you need to have great green coffee. Not great. I don't want to say you have to have the most expensive green. But you do have to go through the process of selecting your green coffee to fit within the parameters of what you're looking to offer. So you have to um, be educated in terms of um, understanding coffee, understanding how to taste coffee, and understand kind of what the flavor profile is of the segment of the consumer base that you're looking to work with. And then, you know, you can always like change it up and push the edges, but um, you have to be focused on that. You can't um, um, without thought buy green and just and roast it and package it and put it out there. You have to focus on the, the taste profile and the quality of what you're ultimately delivering amen let me add to this uh this is very important i didn't even realize how important this this is until uh some of the members at coffeecourses.com the online education we do uh sometimes they have serious issues with the coffee and after discussion on our support forum i you know they go like i still don't get it you know it's like okay so send me samples i really do that so they send me samples and they come and look at them and you realize, oh, this is a past crop. You cannot do anything with this. You know, and <laughs> it's like, so uh, then I go back to the mask, you know, did you do uh, 
cupping before you bought this because, you know, I think that somebody ripped you off. He said, oh, no, we just bought it because it was cheap. I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you cannot fix a bad coffee. You have to learn how to evaluate coffee. And if you buy, you know, like a pallet of it or a container of it, you have to know what you're buying and you have to know what you're going to offer to your customers. Yes, I totally agree with this. Yeah. That's a very good point. Um, and then also you need to have a great roaster. You need to have someone, maybe it's you, the person starting the company. And actually we have members here who are not the roasters. They hire somebody to roast the coffee. They're the members here and they're doing all the other pieces, the barista and the brand. So it doesn't have to be the same person who owns the company who is doing the roasting, but whoever's doing the roasting, they need to really know what they're doing because you can um, take a, a, a really great green coffee and, you know, with a bad roast profile, you're really not getting your money's worth out of the coffee and you're not delivering what you need to be delivering to the customer. So you need a great roaster. And then the other thing is you need business savvy. It really makes sense to know how much money you're putting into your product, um, including, you know, your own time. And, you know, uh, if you have employees, that workers comp piece and like all the inputs in terms of the cost to produce. And then you got to make sure as you sell the coffee that you can cover all those costs and make a little bit of a profit. Maybe not in the first six months or even the first year, but the vision has to be that this company is going to make a profit because without making a profit, you just can't keep it together. Um, obviously, you can't be losing money on um, the endeavor that's meant to be your livelihood. So um, business savvy is another important key piece. Yes. So I'm those glad. five things. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. I mean, these are great. These are all like hardcore great things. I totally agree with them. And um, for example, when it comes to business savvy, people forget that. And people say, oh, I have passion. Well, that's awesome. If you're not business savvy, then be a home roaster or uh, help out some other brand because you will have to make money to make a living. And sometimes they mm -hmm. ask us, you know, that's one of the most common questions. is like, oh, how much can I make with a, with a coffee roasting business? I'm like, I don't know. It's what, what is your goal? You know, it's like you have to check, you know, how much money you need for living and how much money you would need uh, to have a lifestyle you, you uh, want and make a business model around that. I mean, it can be a one man show, but maybe not. I don't know. And uh, you say, you mentioned something which we make a mistake with Unleashed and I made mistake all my life. And that's so important. It's own time. Calculate how much is your time worth and calculate it into the business plan because you know I have a, I, I, I decided I have a value I say to myself that if I would get a job today I would get X amount of money so that means per hour it's Y and then I double it because if you are a consultant usually you know part of the time is searching for jobs so that's a kind of classical calculation and that's my time mm -hmm. so, so now if I go to uh, offer samples in a grocery stores is it really a $50 per hour, for example, that's just an example, $50 an hour job? Are there benefits for me for that? At this point, I'll, I say yes, because, you know, it's not only offering the samples, but for me, it's a learning process of how people react to the coffee. How can I adjust the product? But I'm telling you that in three, four months, it will not worth it because I don't, I think that that $50 an hour I can spend on something else, which is much more valuable for the brand. And you have to learn this. For me, that was the longest and most painful process because I like to do everything myself. 
you know. So uh, I don't like to give out, I did not like to give out jobs. I can save 10 bucks an hour, but on the other hand, I'm taking away from myself the 40 bucks, which I, you know, which is my worth, right? Exactly. So what do you think? Are there any good examples of recent coffee startups? Uh, they identified the new trends in the coffee industry. Ah, yes. Um, well, obviously, co-roasting is one. Um, it seems to be, um, I think it's a new trend. Certainly, the co-row here in um, West Berkeley is doing really well. So, um, And then I've noticed this very interesting mod bar concept, which I think is relatively new, um, where you put the brewing equipment under the counter and you have it such that you can like bring modules in, um, sort of take them and uh, move them, add, subtract to your uh, sort of brewing profile. And that, first of all, it looks so cool and it's just so flexible. Um, I think that that is going to continue to be, you know, the way for future um, cafes to set up their brewing station. Um, certainly on the green side of things at Origin, already so much has been done with um, farmers and farming in terms of how they farm, how they pick, how they process, and how they ship coffee. And I think um, even though so much has already been done, there's still so much to do. And it's really uh kind of an exciting thing. I mean, the green coffee is sort of like the beginning of what ultimately winds up in the cup. And um, we've just seen so much increase in um, amazing flavors uh, with the work that's been done so far. And only a, you know, a certain amount of work has been done. So I just feel like there's so much future there. And it's really exciting. Um, the create your own brand trend, basically, um, the consumer wanting coffee from companies that they identify with and companies that support their value structure. Uh, that's uh, happening and is going to continue to happen. And I think that that sort of small craft coffee um, trend um, uh, sort of goes hand in hand with the co-roasting trend. And I just think that's going to keep growing. Um, and I mentioned the Coro Coffee Room, which is focused on consumer education, I think consumer education is key. At from my perspective, um, the uh, young coffee consumers have already sort of taken charge of their own education, and we see a lot of um, you know very um, uh, learned palates in um, young consumers, but in older consumers that have always had has been. Had have been they kind of grew up with um, uh, Pete's and Starbucks. They're still kind of in the um, um, heavily roasted, you know, coffee uh, paradigm. And there's so much to be had in a great green coffee roasted beautifully that in a way that allows the beauty of the green to shine through. There's just so much enjoyment and excitement around that. And I feel like there's a huge segment of coffee drinkers that, you know, these are the people who are going to, you know, great restaurants in the East Bay. These are like culinary people who care about wine and, um, you know, uh, want to go to the best new restaurant and, you know, connect in with the great new chef. Um, so these people are going to be open to coffee. They just haven't been exposed to it yet. And I think that's a growing trend. And, um, and 
it's I'm excited to be focusing on that. Um, and on the equipment side, you know, technology in every field of our lives, technology is changing in healthcare, in um, computing, in business, and it's going to happen and is happening in coffee as well. Mm-hmm. I the technology is kind of crazy. I am losing track. I have to say that. Uh, there was time when I was on top of every new thing which came out in coffee. I'm talking only about coffee. And now I'm like, uh, somebody shows me something. I was like, oh, that's cool new thing. Oh, no, it's, you know, three years old. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's <laughs> happening so fast. And there's so many cool things coming out. It just, I, I can't follow anymore. And that's a good thing because, you know, I like simplicity, for example. For, so I have to look at, I never heard of Modbar, for example. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but... In my um, coffee, I like to show people how simple it is to make an amazing cup of coffee. So a cone, a, a Chemex, I'm old school, so I like like that kind of approach, you know. So uh, Yeah. But there's for everyone everything, and that's pretty cool. And you said something about the consumer education, and you pinpointed some of our pains, which is like, wow, we didn't have a, a pre-screen of this podcast, but we totally click on some things. Uh, you said, mentioned that the Pete and, uh, and Starbucks drinkers, they, uh, they kind of, it's harder to change them. We, we realized that they don't even want to be educated. The reason is that they have busy lives. You know, they do their own thing and they coffee is something what happens in the background for them. It's not the, the main thing of their life. So it's like they have it for the, for breakfast or whatever, but, uh, they're not quite interested. And we tried, and we're going to keep trying because you have to show them the different way before you can convince them to, to go to the different way. But for us, it meant that we actually have a dark roast on our portfolio with unleashed coffee, which I would never, never do with Green Plantation. In Green Plantation, nope. Mm-mm. But with unleashed coffee, we decided to make one dark roast, which is uh, very funny. And you can achieve that profile only on lowering, which... Uh, is uh, fortunate because you have lowerings uh, where we take the coffee. It, it does not get uh, oily, so it looks like a medium roast. And yet it has this kind of perfumey uh, taste of a dark roast and people love it. So that's kind of like we taking them few notches off the Starbucks and Pete's with this roast here in Marin, which is a nice trick. Mm-hmm. So that's our way to kind of like, look, it can be better. And then, you know, many people are dark rose drinkers. And when we do a demo for them, they go like, oh, I like mini me, which is a medium light rose, you know, or I like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, the other ones. And you go like, yeah, because we have one advantage that uh, we do Brazilian coffee and Brazilian coffee is simple to understand. I mean, it's great on espresso uh, in Europe for a long time. You know, we use it as a base for uh, espresso blends. Uh, it's not that high in acidity, although Williams coffee is more lively than I experienced before with uh, Brazilians. Uh, it's sun-dry natural, so it's very sweet, naturally very sweet. So people go like, oh, this is actually good. Because, you know, people in, in Marin are scared of acidity, which again, I try to explain them that you don't have to be scared of that because it's a, it's a thing which we praise in a lemonade. Lemonade will be disgusting if you put, you know, lemon flavoring and sugar in a water that would be disgusting. You know, you need the acidity to kind of bring out that sweetness and it's true with wine, it's true with food and it's true with coffee. So yeah, that's, that's how we approach it. But I noticed that people not always like to be educated because they, they know they, they're doing it for 30 years. You know, I have a last question for you 
And uh, I'm basically going to be a little bit selfish here, kind of try to ask for your help in my EU business, EU meaning European Union business as, you know, the, in the green plantation. I really believe that diversity in everything brings the real value. It's like people from different cultures, people with different backgrounds, people with different life experiences can really like enrich the company. I have one problem. I cannot hire a woman to be second in charge for green plantation for a while now. And it's, it's, it's becoming extremely challenging. We, we had some uh, candidates, we worked a little bit together, then they, you know, they went away. So it didn't just work. As a woman, why do you think women are underrepresented in the coffee industry? Is it a lack of interest from their side? Or is it a lack of interest from the side of the industry? Interesting question. And I thought about that question. Um, and my gut reaction is, really? <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like and maybe because I'm a woman, I, you know, notice and connect with other women um, uh, readily. I'm not sure. But I just find that there are a lot of women in coffee, at least in my little ecosystem, which is here in the East Bay uh, and the Bay Area generally. I mean, we have Trish Rothgeb, who coined the term third wave coffee and is, um, you know, in charge of the whole um, Q program at QC at CQI. Um, and we have a bunch of other women at CQI as well, the Coffee Quality Institute. And then there's Jody Weiser, who has Gather Coffee and um, is, you know, a Q, a Q grader trainer, like very high level in terms of coffee quality training. I will brag about um, it here. She's my personal friend. Mm. She's so wonderful. And then also um, her partner. Um, what's her partner's name? Marley Benefield, you mean? Marley, yeah, Marley, also another woman. So Gather's a woman-owned company. And then um, one of our members here, Tartine uh, Bakery, that's the bakery in the city. Uh, So good. Two of their, so good, exactly, two of their main roasters, Mandy Spirito and Melissa Brooks, two women roasters. And then Cyclass, Jamie Smith is roasting for Cyclass. And Equator, amazing coffee company with, Amazing women, women-owned, women-run coffee. Um, you have fan. Katie. Yeah, and uh, Katie, I always get her, I can't pronounce her last name very well. Cargulio, Katie. Okay. Yeah, from With Counterculture. Counter yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, amazing woman. And Andy Trundle-Marsh at Phil's, head of their um, uh, coffee program. And um, and then Lindsay Bulger at uh, Curry Green Mountain. I'm senior VP running their whole program in, I think it's Switzerland, Ritual Coffee, Eileen and Lindsay that own Ritual. And then we have a intern here who's helping us with our green coffee sample role, Ellen Klein, and she's from Ritual. And then we have Sarah Richard joining Coro as our director of operations. And then Buffy McGuire, she roasts and um, has the Lady Falcon brand of coffee in the city. And then Mary Santos, who uh, for a while was with Our Coffees, and now she's doing her own thing, and she's, like, traveling the world. She's the president of the um, International Women's Coffee Association. And, I mean, she's a power hitter in coffee. And then all the women at Clatch, every time I – I don't know the Clatch company very well, but um, every time I see them at SCAA or some other event, it seems like it's – and at RICO, you know, there seem to be – have a lot of women in that organization. And then I attended the RICO symposium um, uh, in connection with the SCAA Expo this past April, and I think it was a three-day event, and I think half the speakers were women. 
Um, and then, I mean, kind of the list goes on and on and on. Siobhan Gottlieb at Vol Cafe. Had yeah, I was their just going QC. to mention her, yeah. And Jen Apodaca at Royal. I mean, she's been roasting coffee forever, and she's um, not only the lead roaster at Royal, but importer. She's also engaged with the Roasters Guild. I, you know, she's on the executive committee and I think works with Danny Good a little bit in terms of putting together all of the programming for the Roasters Guild. And then Judy... Um, Krasnick, who's a roaster here for one of our members, Nomadic Grounds, an amazing roaster. And then um, Sandra, head of roasting at uh, Andy Town. Um, Sandra's last name, I'm not very good at pronouncing it either, Le Bouffron? Um Loofbro, Loofbro, Sandra. Anyway, I know where Sandra at Andy Town. She's fabulous. Caitlin McCarthy Garcia, she's mm-hmm. with Atlantic Specialty Coffee, Q Grader, and then she also roasts here. So there's a lot of women in coffee in the Bay Area. So I think there's a lot of interest on both sides. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you call I don't me, know you, what's going on in the European Union. <laughs> well, I don't know either, but uh, you convinced me. Okay. Uh, but in, 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 in Europe, Europe, it, you are right. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a matter of Central Europe. But to, I'll be honest with you. I mean, obviously, we prepared this podcast ahead and uh, gave you these questions like maybe a few weeks ago. Since then, we did hire a woman. Um, she's, oh, not, <laughs> she's not second in charge yet but i really hope that she'll be first in a charge uh soon and uh, i hope she doesn't leave us again uh, you know her name is jofia so it's even pretty name our roster yes. is uh the the the, the probat has also a pretty name it's olivia so there is olivia and jofia now so <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> yeah i love it yeah no i as some uh, i have been speaking with a few women about this and i think there's just a perception that there's not a lot of women in coffee because you know co- women generally tend not to be like out there in terms of um their presence in a way it's just you know uh, um uh either a societal or i have no idea why but it tends to be that um, you know, women are not like putting themselves out there in the same way as a lot of men. But I mm. think there are a lot of women in coffee. Floyd, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was truly fun. We work together sometimes, but it's always professional. This was a little bit more personal and I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Valarian, it was a lot of fun too. I really, it was, um, it's great. Thank you so much for inviting me and for doing these podcasts. It's really good for coffee. I hope so. I hope people get inspired and will become your members if they are from the Bay Area and compete with us. Yes. <laughs> 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 All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this show with Floyd Andrews from Berkeley Coro. I hope you had an amazing time. And as I mentioned in the beginning, the show is open to your donations. If you learned something really, really valuable in this show, something what saved you time or money, please feel free to donate. You can go to coffeeis.me website and on upper menu you can click to uh, support slash donate. If you think that this show is purely entertaining and it's fun and you want to invite me for a virtual glass of wine, you can do the same. Just go to coffeeis.me website and on the upper menu you can click to support slash donate. You know, it's a lot of fun to make this podcast and I have a blast but the end goal was to monetize this podcast eventually and the time came now. I'll be very honest with you guys as I mentioned it previously I do plan to make 50 episodes because that was my personal goal 
And uh, after that, I want to reevaluate whether this podcast makes sense, because I think if this podcast is valuable, it can be supported uh, with your donations. If it's purely fun, that's great. But unfortunately, at this point in my life, I do not have too much time for fun. Uh, so I have to really prioritize certain things in my life. So if you decide to support this show, in the name of all listeners, I would like to thank you, thank you, thank you. It really helps me to offset all the costs and perhaps make a little money aside. I mean, come on, guys, this is a business podcast, so let's be honest about it, right? Hope to talk to you soon. Bye.